Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, sustainable tourism in Minnesota, the MSRA's Back to the 50s Car Show returns to the state fairgrounds after a year off, and part two of our series on Northwoods League Baseball. But first, lawmakers are back in St. Paul to finish the state budget, they hope, before the end of the month. MNN's Bill Werner tells us what's going on, and in some cases, what's not happening yet. Scott, the special session starting this week is because of two things. First, Governor Tim Walls extending his peacetime emergency powers for another 30 days. It is very clear now that we are in the final stages and that most of the executive orders will unwind and will in the near future. Today is simply up, uh, re-upping the state of emergency so that the status quo of the work that we're doing continues. Minnesota law says the governor must give the legislature a chance to say yay or nay every time he extends his emergency powers, hence the special session. But lawmakers must also finish the state budget, something they were not able to do during the regular session, and that must be done by June 30th, or state government begins to shut down as the new fiscal year opens. Lawmakers spent several weeks after the regular session ended a few weeks ago, a lot of it in private meetings and working groups, trying to get agreement on budget bills. But only four were basically ready to go when the opening gavel of the special session came down at noon on Monday. Namely, higher education, agriculture, commerce, energy, and legacy. House Speaker Democrat Melissa Hortman said the tax bill is also finished, but the House will hold it back until the end. To be sure, Democrats get what they want in negotiations. I don't think we'll be close to June 30th. I I would um, expect that we'll be done days before that. Top leaders from both parties estimated the legislature would take 7 to 10 days to finish the state budget during this special session. That means by sometime this coming week, Senate Majority Leader Paul Gazelka was asked, will committees get their remaining work done without leadership stepping in? I'm like 95% confident. I think most of them will be done. Uh, But if there's one that isn't, then that would be the only time that myself and the speaker with the governor would step in and say, we got to get it done. We cannot wait. One of the biggest sticking points remains police reform. Gazelka says the Senate has agreed to having body cameras on conservation officers, plus at least four other measures, but House Democrats want much more. Making sure that we have resources to prevent violence before it occurs and to not have officers with lethal force responding to incidents that don't require lethal force. House Speaker Hortman. The first debate on the first day of the special session was over canceling the governor's COVID emergency powers. House Republicans tried again but got almost no support from Democrats. House GOP Minority Leader Kurt Dowd said, We know that the pandemic is over and the reason I know that we know that is because I can see your faces and we're all here together. We do have faces in this room. We have an audience. But the responsibility to continue to make sure that we are properly responding to the pandemic, even in its final phase, remains. That's Democratic Majority Leader Ryan Winkler. In the Senate, Republicans who have the majority tried a different tack. 
rather than voting to entirely cancel the governor's emergency powers, which would have no chance in the Democrat-controlled House, they passed a bill that would prevent the governor from putting any restrictions on schools while his COVID emergency powers remain in place. Maplewood Democrat Chuck Weger took vigorous issue, noting 809 schools are fully open in Minnesota, over 600 in hybrid mode, about 270 in distance learning. Does this sound like a one-size-fit-all? No. And yes, people want the kids back in school, but they want it to be done safely. Rochester Republican Carla Nelson responded, the bill does not require that school buildings be open or not be open. Senate File 2 places that authority with the local school boards who know their students the risks, the risk mitigations, the best. But even the ban on school restrictions has little chance of passing the Democrat-controlled Minnesota House. Minnesota House and Senate negotiators said this week they have agreement on a bill for an orderly phase-out of the governor's COVID moratorium on evictions, one of the key things Walls has said he needs to relinquish his emergency powers. Republican Senator Rich Dreheim from Madison Lake urged quick action by the House. I probably had six messages today from landlords you know, begging us to move on this. We've been working on it for over a year. And as the first of the budget bills came to the House floor for votes late this week, lawmakers got tangled up in an extended debate over reinsurance. That's when the state picks up the cost of health care for the most seriously ill Minnesotans with the objective of holding down everyone else's premiums. Republican Minority Leader Kurt Dowd said reinsurance was not in the bill when leaders emerged from what he called super-secret backroom negotiations. And that deal doesn't include the most successful health insurance program in the last four years. House Speaker Melissa Hortman responds reinsurance. Costs approximately $450 million, but does not have a $450 million benefit to the taxpayers of Minnesota and causes us to lose hundreds of millions in federal dollars. Reinsurance is far from the only issue that lawmakers have to either resolve or, as Senate Majority Leader Paul Gazelka says, dump overboard before June 30th. We already mentioned police reform, the governor's emergency powers in the eviction moratorium. There's also the unemployment benefit top-off, school vouchers, a bonding bill, and let's see, what have I forgotten? Well, you get the idea. Scott? I think you got it all covered, Bill. Thank you for that. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives. Who are we? We're your neighbors, co-workers, and friends. That's right, we live and work in the community too. Because of that, we're committed to making sure our electric services stay reliable, affordable, and safe. Throughout the state, Minnesota electric co-ops work independent of each other, but with the same goal, provide power to Minnesota. You have so many other things to worry about. Your electricity isn't one of them. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives, bringing power to the people of Minnesota. Considering an online pharmacy? Explore BeSafeRx to find useful information and resources to help you purchase medicines safely online. A safe online pharmacy requires a doctor's prescription, has an address in the United States, has a licensed pharmacist, and is licensed by a state pharmacy board. It's best to stay away from online pharmacies that don't meet these criteria. Discover more helpful tips and resources at BeSafeRx. Go to fda.gov slash BeSafeRx. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. There's an old adage in outdoor recreation, leave it better than you found it. 
Natasha Radel explains. Today we're talking about outdoor sustainability. As you know, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, many Minnesotans headed outdoors to their favorite recreation area, a state park, the Boundary Waters Canoe Area, a national forest, or their favorite fishing hole. In fact, record numbers of people ventured out, and that trend is expected to continue this year. That's what led Ken Gilbertson, a professor in the Environmental and Outdoor Education Program at the University of Minnesota Duluth, to look into how this increased traffic will affect the future of our great gems we hold near and dear in the North Star State. And so what I'm interested in and and what the challenge is, is particularly now with COVID, is we have so many people going outdoors that there's a, a thing called recreational carrying capacity. So how many people can the land handle? And you know, like through hunting, that's why we have hunting, because hunting deals with carrying capacity of deer, waterfall, whatever it is. And and so with people, it's a little more difficult because it's really hard to to back off. If you're exceeding sustainability, how do you change things? Or how do you develop an area so that it is sustainable? So like a good example is mountain biking and fat tire biking, I don't think is five years old. And so we we constantly have these new outdoor activities. You know, they're they're nice, but they put additional pressure on the land. And so, you know, now there's there's a specialty in how you design a mountain bike trail so that it's not only challenging for, appropriately challenging for the biker, but it's, it's designed so that it's, it's, um, it's not going to erode or, or be, it's, it's going to have minimal impact, negative impact on the land. So those are the kinds of things that I've been studying. We still don't have, there still isn't an answer of what do you do when you exceed sustainability. That's kind of the holy grail of, of uh, natural resource management. Ken, I'm guessing different outdoor state agencies are also monitoring this issue. What are you hearing and seeing? Whenever I raise the question, and I always do when I'm in the meetings, is, okay, what, what's the plan for when we exceed carrying capacity? What do we do when we exceed sustainability? And the reason I say it's a holy grail, I have yet to hear an answer. And, you know, really, the answer to that probably is regulation. Like the Boundary Waters, you have to have a permit that only allows so many people into the Boundary Waters. And it's, it's the most heavily used wilderness area in the world. But they control that through permits. A lot of resource agencies are either not able to because it requires enforcement. And that's the problem that happened with the Boundary Waters last summer is because of COVID, enforcement was way down. And so uh, inappropriate use went way up. And I actually saw that happen just on a canoe trip. I saw it happen three times on a canoe trip. I was on in the Boundary Waters. And so when I ask that question about, well, what, what do we do? There, I've never yet heard a concrete answer. It, it's, and it's not like they're not aware of it, but we, I, I don't think there's an answer. And there's a tendency to avoid regulation because the public doesn't like regulation. And that would mean then there has to be monies for for resources. So in our, the last, uh, there was a round table I was at recently with the Minnesota DNR, and I asked the question about, okay, if we have more people going out, one solution to being sustainable is educating people so they, they respect the land. Because that's really the reason they're going out is for a nature experience. So why would they ruin 
or damaged nature. There's all sorts of programs, but they're they're low-paying, summer seasonal kinds of programs. And education is another approach as opposed to regulation. And it, you know, in my opinion, I think you need both of those so that regulation keeps you know keeps a lid on overuse. Education prevents inappropriate use. Gosh, I've learned a lot today and forget sometimes we take things for granted, including the great outdoors. Well, we're about out of time today. Anything else you wanted to highlight? There's a, a, a couple of key things. There's one is, okay, people seek nature for, the, for a variety of reasons, the beauty of nature, solitude, those kinds of things. So why would they want to uh, ruin nature? You know, for instance, um, uh, I came on a campsite and people were just cutting, they, they cut some green trees and just left them laying there. Um, I mean, it's, it, it's nonsensical. So why would someone want to ruin what they, the very reason of why they're going out there? And, and so that has me curious. Um, I don't know the answer for that. The other, the other piece really is, um, you know, that we really as a society, we tend to undervalue things like uh, outdoor education or, or in this, like the state parks and national park service interpretation. Uh, that's what it's called. Uh, you know, so if you're teaching people about nature in a park, it's called interpretation. There's, not, there's, least, there's less money put into interpretation and outdoor education than there is, say, for wildlife management or forestry, forest management. That's a challenge on, on agencies, even though they might have the income from user fees, they're not getting tax dollars. So we have this societal, again, the societal contradiction of value of place versus how much do we support it and what do we need to support it. And so that in, in a sustainable or sustainability context, that's the challenge that, that we're really facing. Thanks again to my guest, Ken Gilbertson, a professor in the Environmental and Outdoor Education Program at the University of Minnesota Duluth. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. The State Fair is not the only traditional Minnesota event taking place this summer after a year off due to COVID. The annual Minnesota Street Rod Association is hosting its Back to the 50s car event this weekend at the State Fairgrounds. I recently spoke with the MSRA's Linda Lucas about what it means to be back after a year off. It has been insane, but happy insane. I mean, we literally, when uh, we had to close it. There was, you know, this just gray, sad cloud. And when the decision was made that we could open it, we had to do in five weeks what we normally do in 20 weeks. It's been crazy. But uh, everybody's excited from our vendors to the participants to the spectators. It's going to be fabulous. And do you mind just giving, uh, for listeners who are unaware, maybe just a little bit of background about what they can expect uh, coming up from June 18th through the 20th? Oh, I'd love to share. Um, let's see, where do we start? Um, let's kind of go day by day. Thursday, which is not an official day of it, uh, there's going to be a couple of events. There's going to be kind of a kickoff party at Mancini's, and then in the uh, early afternoon, and the Saints um, are hosting back to 50s. 
for kind of an event before their game. So that's something that's kind of fun, and spectators or attendees are welcome at those, too. Um, Friday is the start, and um, the weather, as you know, is going to be spectacular all weekend. And so we have a lot of things that are going on from, oh, my uh, shopping, Lady Showcase, um, the actual vendors themselves, the Cruise and Art Craft Fair, uh, there's going to be, well, I'm guessing a little over 11,000 cars. Uh, we had just, I think, 80 short of 10,000 pre-registered. So the cars are going to be gorgeous to look at. Um, one of the main things I think about activities is the fact that it's a family and friend and fun thing, and people book vacation time to come to this. So attendees that come through the gates of spectators, I mean, they can bring a cooler in if they want to bring, you know, water and something to eat and have a picnic and do things like that, besides the fair food, of course, which is there. Um, But it's just a laid-back, walk-around, enjoy an amazing car show is what it is. It's great. Can you tell me, I'm sure it, it varies from uh, person to person or vendor to vendor, but uh, give me a sense of, of what it takes, the dedication that it takes to keep these vehicles in the shape that they're in after all these years. Because I've been uh, to the show several times, and it is amazing every year, the, the detail and the, the craft and the work that people put into keeping these vehicles spotless. You know, that's a really good question. Uh, one of the things I do want to really mention is that we have cars that um, are pretty much in original condition, you know, 30, 1930s, 1940s, that people are working on, that you look at them and it's like, how are you able to drive this to cars that actually someone has put a great deal of money in and maybe have been done professionally. But I would say the majority of the cars that you're going to see there Many of them are garage built. Uh, I know one of ours that we bring, my husband totally did in the garage. Um, to those that have, have professional help as well as the owner, but most of the owners help put their cars together. And you'll find them from rat rods to unbelievable extreme customs. There's a, there's a wide range for everybody. I mean, everybody to take a look at. You know, uh, each time of year when the Back to the 50s show is in town and you start to see those vehicles around town, it always makes me nervous. I always put myself in the driver's seat uh, mentally thinking, what is the insurance like on something like that? I, I would be nervous to drive it anywhere. Is it is it exorbitant uh, to protect those cars? That's a good question. It's a very good question. Um, the insurance varies, of course, by the value of the car. Uh, there are two specialty car insurance companies, and that is what, you know, their habit is. But normally, uh, I'm saying maybe a good guess would be um, maybe know, 8 to 10% of the uh, appraised value possibly on it. Um, but you'd have to, you know, talk with the individual insurance companies on it. And it depends on what kind of insurance you want. But um, like even with our car, we have it fully covered, so if our car was hit, um, absolutely no questions asked and a full check cut for what is the appraised value on it. It's that type of insurance. Uh, well, for folks that want to get tickets, uh, what do they need to do, Linda? There's two ways. Um, Napa participating, Napa Auto Stores, 
sell discount tickets. They're daily tickets. They're 10 bucks. And if you have children, and we really encourage kids to come and uh, the young, the teenagers, stuff, but children 15 and under are free with a paid adult. Uh, at the gate itself, it's $12. And again, 15 and under children are free. Thank you to my guest, the MSRA's Linda Lucas. Minnesota Matters returns after this. We ask kids what it took to be a dad. This is what they had to say. A father is always present. I mean, what, father, what real father figure can you have if they're not there? In order to be a good dad, you need to love, love your son. You need to put gas in your car so you don't break down in the middle of nowhere. And you need to make them breakfast. Yep. I mean, just to maybe um, play, like, a board game with me or to just stay home and play um, some video games with me. Just to do, like, that one little thing is what I really look forward to. I'm not asking him to be a perfect dad, but he should try. He's just a constant force in my life. There's no other type of love like a dad's love because it's not comparable to anything else. Take time to be a dad today. Call 877-4DAD411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Last week, we heard about the start of the Northwoods League season in Minnesota and around the upper Midwest. It's the 28th season for the league, which features some of the top college players from around the country. Time now for part two of MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm's conversation with Northwoods League President Ryan Vaz, who says the players stay all summer long with local families who take the players in as host families. Yeah, we couldn't do it without the families. I mean, the families, we say, are, the, are truly the backbone of the organization because uh, you, we have a rosters now of 35 players living with 30 to 35 different families. There always is a handful that take two players, but for the most part, they'll take one player. Uh, you have some, you have a family taking in a stranger of a ball player coming into their home in the middle of the night, coming back from a road trip from Bismarck, and they take care of them as though it's their child or their son for the summer. And by the end of the summer, they've met their family and they move on and they get married and they invite them to their wedding and they have kids and share photos it's amazing the uh, experience and relationship that's built in that short window of time. Let's talk about the formatics of the league. As we mentioned, it's looking more normal this year as opposed to what you guys had to navigate through last year. Uh, so all of the Minnesota teams are in the Great Plains division. Kind of take us through how that shakes out, and then as we get closer and closer, what the playoff situation would look like in terms of how, how that matchup goes. Yeah, no, uh, you know, the league's broken up into 20, uh, 22 teams broken up into two divisions. Uh, the uh, Great Plains Division this year will not have uh, the Thunder Bay franchise, but will have the Minnesota Mud Puppies. So the Plains Division has 10 teams. The Lakes Division has 12 teams. And uh, our formatting uh, for the playoffs will be very similar to what it was in 2019. Uh, the Mud Puppies team will not be eligible for the postseason due to the fact that they're playing 36 games and not 72 games. So the Minnesota team, which is based out of the Twin Cities, primarily uh, Egan is where they'll be practicing and, and departing from, will uh, play the Thunder Bay road games. And uh, so nine teams in the Plains uh, will be fighting for a playoff spot and then 12 teams in the Great Lakes Division uh, with an all-star game in Mankato, middle of July, and then a North uh, Major League Showcase that we'll put together for scouts that'll be done uh, in La Crosse, Wisconsin in August. 
Well, let me um, ask you too. As you, as I mentioned, you're you're affiliated with Wilmer. Uh, we have listeners, you know, all over the state here as well, and certainly in the uh, other cities represented. Uh, give us a sales pitch as to what makes this fun and why people should come out and watch baseball this summer in the Northwoods League. Yeah, no, you know the uh, the reason why fans should come out is that truly, uh, you know, this is homegrown baseball. This is this is grassroots. These guys are not being paid to play baseball. Um, we provide for them three meals a day and a, a great host family experience. They are playing to hone their skills with the shot of playing professional baseball. And typically about a third of the team will go on at some point in their career and play professionally. And for the other two thirds, these guys are playing for the love of the game and we're trying to give them the best experience we can. So from a fan standpoint, the affordability piece to it and the localness of being able to catch some of the best talent in the country is truly why fans come out. But you know, the entertainment part of it, uh, we feel, is, is just as important being able to put on a good show each and every night uh, in each of the respective markets. And in a summer where, where Minnesota, uh, Minnesota has certainly a big tourism uh, situation, how important is it to some of these communities to have uh, these teams and, and the impact it has? Yeah, I know the, the, uh, you know the way that you look at it is you hope that you can draw some fans from the outside that might be vacationing in your area. But ultimately, it's the uh, the people within your communities or a 30-mile radius. And the business community is is really what keeps uh, a lot of the North Zeke franchises going in preparation for the season. We we always joke that, uh, you know, your goal is to try to sell two-thirds or three-quarters of your tickets before you throw your first pitch um, so that you're not relying on a winning team and, and great weather. Uh, but it's your engagement with those businesses in the community that really truly uh, – make this thing happen have you gotten a sense or any feedback i know it's early in the season but just in talking with fans in general and maybe in your case specifically to wilmer having been cooped up now for a year uh that they're like eager to get out and say yeah i may even buy a few extra tickets and come out a few extra nights uh after not getting to see much yeah it's going to be extra special this summer and it was amazing on how many people responded last year uh and thanked us for pulling it off they all realized it wasn't easy and uh, we had a feeling that that might have been the last sporting event that they were able to see uh, last August. And for a lot of them, they haven't been able to see any kind of live sports uh, since the Stinger season last year or any Northwoods League team. So um, fans are uh, eager to get out, and uh, it should be a really fun season. And w- with the uh, restrictions being lifted, the timing's been perfect for the season. So over the course of the Northwoods League history, who are some of the players that have gone on now that uh, we might recognize that have made a name for themselves as major leaguers? Yeah, there's you know there's players kind of in each of the uh, different generations, but uh, Pete Alonzo with the uh, New York Mets. Uh, everyone probably remembers you know Curtis Granderson, who was one of the first Northwoods Leaguers to make it that played with the Mets and the Yankees and the Tigers and um, you know, Max Scherzer and Chris Sale both pitched in lacrosse. Uh, they faced off the last couple of years in the uh, all-star game, which has been kind of fun. Both of those guys pitched, uh, in the lacrosse market. Um, when I was in Alexandria, we had, uh, I mean, the current, uh, Minnesota, uh, twin, uh, Mitch Garver, uh, was in St. Cloud, the catcher that played in the league. So, uh, I believe there's just over 250, uh, major leaguers, uh, that have played in the league. For us here in Wilmer, uh, we've had seven guys in the last 11 years that have gone on, and uh, Hunter Dozier being one of them with the Kansas City Royals that just played the Twins here the other night. So uh, as much as we want to provide the best family experience we can, the baseball is very, very good. And if you are a true baseball fan, uh, it's fun to watch to see who might be the next guy coming through the ranks. That's Northwoods League President Ryan Vaughs. That's going to do it for us for this week. 
Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station. Thank you.